was born in Jackson. My parents and my brother and I lived in a white house with a white picket fence. And by all practical purposes, we looked like the typical Northeast Jackson family. And, and really we were, except for there were things that we didn't talk about. There were things that happened in our lives that we just didn't deal with very well. I grew up loving to go fishing. Um, we camped a lot. Um, I liked to do anything as long as my dad was doing it with me. We didn't really talk about negative things in our house, negative emotions. There was some anger and some volatility. And I remember being scared a lot. And I can't really put my finger on what I was scared about, but I do remember being scared a lot. I remember almost like this toxic positivity atmosphere in my home. And because we didn't really talk about negative emotions, I didn't learn how to process negative emotions. They weren't nurtured. I don't feel like they were really accepted. I feel like I needed to walk around acting like everything was just fine. And everybody was happy and all is well. And I recall having negative emotions sometimes and I thought, okay, if negative emotions are bad and I'm having negative emotions, then I must be bad. And so that was the beginning of, I think, some shame of me being who I thought other people wanted me to be. And I also think it was the beginning of me trying to fix people, me looking at the world through this lens of, we're supposed to be just happy. And when people weren't, I thought it was my job to fix them, my job to make them happy. Junior high and high school, I participated in all the activities that were not academic. <laughs> I did all of the um, clubs and was on the drill team and was in the show choir and did all of those things. Um, but still put up this, this face of everything's just fine. Um, had a lot of social anxiety, would have now what I know to be panic attacks. Didn't really know what was going on, um, but still looked like I had it all together. And when I was about 14, I ran with the popular crowd, the crowd that had too many resources, the crowd that had too much time on our hands, um, not a lot of rules. And about 14, I discovered alcohol and boys. And that kind of became my escape. That became my way of coping. That became my way of numbing that became my way of being somebody else. Even though I still didn't know who the true me was, and that wouldn't come for a really long time. When I was 15, I had gone out with a group of friends and I left with a young man and he raped me that night. <clears throat> I never told anybody about that. I didn't tell anybody about that until I was 33 years old. In fact, there's people in my life that still don't know that that's what happened to me. 
My friends found out about it, but they blamed me. They turned on me. They took my school books and wrote slurs and called me names. I can recall walking down the hallway one time and they turned and walked away from me. And I don't remember at what point I made the decision to not let anybody know who the real me was. But I think it was somewhere around there. Um, growing up, we went to church like every other good Southern family does. We were there on Christmas and Easter and sometimes in between. I do recall having a really neat Sunday school teacher, but I don't remember hearing anything about a loving God, about a God that is merciful, that shows grace, that's love, that loves me unconditionally, that made me to be just who I'm supposed to be. I remember hearing a lot about rules. I remember hearing a lot about how I didn't measure up. And when the rape occurred, that just kind of solidified um, who I thought I was in the eyes of God. I was damaged. I was used goods. Um, and so I recall running from him. Um, I didn't want to waste his time, almost, I think. There was so much shame. There was so much guilt. I was a mess. I was just a, a train wreck, but people would never have known it. I showed this happy, go-lucky, confident self, and inside I was dying. I decided around age 24 that the fix was getting married. So I got married. We were married pretty young. Um, everybody was doing it, and I thought that was the thing to do. That's what a good Southern girl does, is she graduates from college, and then she gets married, and she starts a family, and she stays home with her children. And so that's what I did. I jumped into this life that um, was full of dysfunction. It was volatile. It was scary at times. It was manipulative. Um, sometimes verbally abusive. It was, felt like sometimes I was trapped and that I deserved it. I deserved whatever life I had. And so following that, about two years later, we had a baby because that would fix things too. And my daughter was born and she was just such a joy. Uh, I did struggle with postpartum depression, though, quite a bit. That created a whole lot of shame also. I felt like I had this beautiful child. Not everybody can have a child. And yet, I still felt somewhat dead inside at times. Four years later, my son came along and didn't really have the postpartum with him. Things were a little bit different with him. Um, I think maybe I knew that that was the last baby I was going to have. Things in my marriage were not good. Um, and, it, and it wasn't all his fault. It was a combination of things. Um, alcohol use, um, me having no identity, him trying to figure out who he was, who we were together, trying to raise two children. 
And so it created the perfect storm for a lot of unhealthy coping, a lot of unhealthy um, behaviors, thoughts. And on October 31st, 2004, I was on the phone with my father, and we were doing what we did each Monday night, which was watch football games together. Over the phone, we would watch Brett Favre play. And we were talking and having a great time. And little did I know that that would be the last time that I would ever talk to him. It was about two hours later, my mom called me and told me that he was gone. I had lost the one man that up until that time truly knew who I was. I felt like he got me. I can be a lot. (laughs) And he loved me even though I was a lot. And he was gone. He was taken from me. To say that was hard and devastating is an understatement. Um, It changed everything about me. I didn't have a knowledge of God. I knew that my dad was a believer. I knew where he was. But at that time, I didn't think that I was going to see him again because I didn't qualify to get into heaven. I wasn't good enough for a relationship with God. And I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And so I went to the doctor one day, and he prescribed me Xanax for sleep. I had not divulged to him at that time that there was some binge drinking going on. And so I found the solution at that point in time. The combination of things that allowed me to tolerate life a little bit more. And in 2009, my husband and I separated. And that was a very hard time in my life. I was alone. I was continuing to drink. I was trying to be mom and dad at the same time. I had a lot of guilt. I had a lot of shame. I was still making poor choices. was still out there um, and not knowing who I was, just surviving. Now, in that time, I was active in my kids' lives. I was the homeroom mom every year. I was doing all the things. I was, every party, I would volunteer to be the chair. I would volunteer to bring all the snacks. I would be at every single solitary thing, every activity, every play, everything that my children did, I was there. I just started feeling like I wanted something a little bit different. I wanted something a little bit different, a small amount more than I wanted to stay the same. On July the 6th, 2010, I decided to quit drinking. I decided to quit taking the Xanax. I decided to quit taking anything that was mood altering. And I thought at the time that that was the answer. That if I took away all of that stuff, if I took away all the unhealthy coping, if I took away all the acting out, the inappropriate relationships, if I took away all of that, then I'd be fine. I could not have been more wrong. Because 
I didn't have those things that I used to use to cope with. The things that worked until they didn't. The things that I thought were the answer to problems that I didn't even know I had at times. But I did it. And I think pride kept me during that first year from drinking again, from making sure that I was not being the person that some people were saying that I still was being. Um, about that time, I had remembered that there was this guy that when I was in my um, 20s, I was trying to fix this guy. And so I had dated this, this young man who was doing all the things that I was doing in secret, but he was doing it out loud. And there was this guy that helped him, was trying to help him. And we were friends for about two or so weeks. Um, I remember being on the phone one night with him, crying my eyeballs out over this boy that I was dating. And I do remember thinking that, what would it be like to be with this guy? That was when I was 19. Um, fast forward to 2010, end of 2010, and I was walking through a business that I owned, um, was a part owner in, and we had a company that ran it for us. And so I didn't know who worked for us. I didn't know anything. And I passed by this, just in passing, this tall, bald man. And um, I thought, I think I know that guy. And I turned around and he turned around and we were like, I think we know each other. And um, little did I know that that was uh, such a major part of my healing, that that was soon to be um, just something so beautiful, something that I never could have dreamed of. And um, so we started talking. We became friends. Um, I knew that he was in recovery. He had had a lot of sobriety under his belt at that time. And so I asked him for some help. I swallowed my pride. I had gone a year. Um, no, I'd gone a few months, I think, um, without drugs and without any mood-altering substances. And I was a mess. And so I asked him for help. He gave me some phone numbers of some women that were in a program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to use these numbers. Except for I was too scared. I thought, okay, even these women that are in the program, if they knew me, the real me, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't accept me. So I didn't use the numbers. But that gentleman and I became friends. And he was going through a really hard time. He had just gotten a divorce. I had just gotten a divorce. And... I can remember going into the place of business and just sitting there and crying, all the while thinking this guy's got to think I'm a nut. And I think he, he did and probably still does think I'm a nut. But um, on July the 15th of 2011, I got to marry that guy. That guy that came and um, helped me and loved me until I could love myself. Um, it was right around that time when I was just starting to get sober. <clears throat> there was a church 
that met at the school where my children went. And I knew the building well. And so I thought, okay, I can sneak in there. I know everything about the building. I can sneak in, I can sit up top, and I can leave and nobody will know I'm there. And I had tried everything else, mind you. I had tried drugs and alcohol and relationships and shopping. Um, filling my time with all of the things except for uh, anything that was healthy. Um, anything that was instantly gratifying, I did. And so I remember thinking that day, my children were at their dad's house, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this church because I can fly under the radar. And little did I know that that day God had a totally different plan in mind. I was sitting there, and I was watching this beautiful lady sing, and I was like, she looks really familiar. And then I realized that she was a girl that I'd gone to junior high with, and I remember that she could just sing beautifully. And I was like, oh, that's really neat. We didn't run in the same circles. In fact, I don't know that I'd be sitting in this chair had I run in the same circles that she did. Um, but that was just not part of my story. And I saw another lady that was another familiar face that was the mom of a precious little girl that I had been her daughter's Daisy Girl Scout leader when my daughter was four. And I thought I was going to get out of that building without them seeing me, and I didn't. They both cornered me <laughs> in a loving way, um, but they were so welcoming. And I started hearing while I was there this totally different God. This God that loved me, that cherished me, that says I'm his masterpiece. And I really don't think, though, that I would have kept coming back had it not been for those ladies, had it not been for what I refer to as Jesus with skin on. They loved me. They held me accountable. They came over to my house when I didn't answer my phone. They picked up my children. They did things for me because they loved me. They didn't do things out of obligation. They didn't do things because of something that I could do for them because I didn't have anything to offer at that point in time. And that's when I started building this community of women that were just amazing. Did I like it? No. Was I scared to death? All the time vulnerability because I had hidden so much in my life. I had been somewhat of a chameleon. I had been whoever I thought in whomever's presence that I was in, that I had to be what they wanted me to be. The women that the Lord started putting in my life were such a blessing to me. I started going to meetings. I started actually walking in freedom. I was becoming less in bondage of self. I was learning that it was okay for me to be whatever me, the a lot me, the big emotions me, the 
I might show up over at your house because I think something's wrong with you, me. And that's one of the things that I encourage so many women in my life and so many people today is sometimes just being present is enough. Sometimes we don't have words. Words are not sufficient. When there's a tragedy, when there's things that happen in people's life that they never thought would happen to them, sometimes just sitting with people and being with them is enough. Just this morning, I was thinking about being an imposter, being a fraud, and how sometimes I still feel like that. But only God gets to tell me who I am. And I know that I am His. I am His masterpiece. I am loved more than I could ever dream of. I have a community of beautiful women. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I belong. Good morning. My name is Megan. I am on the leadership team here, and it is my privilege to sit here with Catherine. <laughs> I was going to say we thank her for sharing her story, but we already did that. So, <laughs> um, We are going to spend some time just talking through some of her story, and we believe in the power of stories here at Vertical. Um, we love to share them because we know that every story matters to God, and when we begin to share our stories and open up, we become more relatable with people, and we're able to develop relationships with people we might not have ever done that with prior to sharing. Um, so we're going to jump into her story because we only have a little bit of time, and there are two women on stage, and we have a lot to say. Um, so, Catherine, um, one of the first things that you mention in your story about your childhood is remembering a toxic positivity and um, that we didn't, you didn't really address the negative emotions. And we both know that so often that can lead to a lot of people-pleasing and codependency. Um, do you think that is where it started for you? people-pleasing started, and really and truly that started a um, long time before any drinking or drugging or anything like that started. So codependency isn't always um, drugs and alcohol, it can be with people. Oh, for sure. And performance, yeah. Um, I love what you said 
when you began to realize that you wanted to change your life and you said, I wanted something different, just a little bit more than I wanted to stay the same. Um, when you finally realized that you needed help, how long did it take you to seek that? Well, I guess I've been in therapy for a long time. And um, I think right around the time I got sober, I was like, you know, I just, I want something to be different. Reminds me of the mustard seed of faith. And that's all I've got. And sometimes we just have to be willing to be willing. And I think that's, I had gotten to this place where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, I was tired of not having um, what I thought were safe people in my life to be able to share the important things in my life. Um, and just not, and I think when I got to that place, when I'd start seeing little successes, and it's been like an 11 year journey of epic fails of, I nailed it at times. Um, my husband always says, you know, if you're gonna fall, fall forward. And so I've always tried to fall forward. And I do a lot of times still. I'm a work in progress. And as a clinician, if I'm not doing my own work, and I'm not looking at myself, it's really hard for me to journey with other people. So when you started that journey into health and you severed ties with everything that you were living, everything about that life, um, you didn't really want people around for a little while. Right. You kind of wanted to disappear, which is why you snuck into church that day. Right. But then you realized that you had to have it whether you wanted it or not. Um, and you found community in a church and you referred to those ladies in the video as Jesus with skin on. Absolutely. 10 years later, what, or 11 years later now, what have you learned about that, about the need for that community? So vulnerability is hard. I mean, it's just really hard. And I think living in the community that we live in we kind of wear this, we don't kind of, we really wear this mask. And we even walk through the church doors and say, I'm good. Somebody says, how are you doing? I'm fine. And we could be really far from fine. And I think having a safe place to be able to do that, even though it's risky, like I get to choose to walk in freedom every day. It is a choice because I can withhold things when something's going on in my life. And look, we've got four children ranging in age from 17 to 22. So at times there's things not going right. And, but I need those ladies in my life that I can call and I can say whatever I wanna say and I'm not judged, I am loved, I can cry, I can scream, I can curse, I can do all the things <laughs> and Sometimes they're like, okay, Catherine, you're wrong. And I need to hear that too. I need to hear, you're not, this isn't the right thing. But the rewards that you get from being vulnerable with safe people in your life far outweigh any of the risks. You walk in freedom 
And there's nothing like that. I, and I know this because I was in bondage to self for a very long time. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, running the risk of being 100% vulnerable up here, taking my LPC hat off and just being Catherine up here, is because I want so much for other people to experience that freedom, to just have a little bit of willingness to be different more than they want to stay the same. So um, I saw a quote yesterday that made me rewrite the last part of this, but it's, it's still enough the same that you won't get lost on me. Okay. Um, it said, the messy part of your story is probably the part God will use the most to reach others. And you, you mentioned that you're an LPC. You've made a career out of helping people, and you did that after you went through your recovery process. Um, you serve on the board at a place called Crossroads that we love so much. And um, you actually came here for the first time because of a relationship that you probably wouldn't have been able to develop without that messy part to make the connection. Oh, for sure. Um, how has God redeemed your story so you can be that person that you really needed 10 or 11 years ago? A lot of patience, a lot of grace, a lot of humility. Um, and yeah, that's how I found my home here at Vertical, um, was the messiest part of my story. I became willing to share that a little bit um, and was leading group at Crossroads one day and this lady came in and she tattooed from head to toe and I don't know, I just zeroed in on her and I was like, you're going to be my friend whether you want to be or not. And I am 100% sure that she did not want to be my friend. <laughs> She's like, I don't want anything to do with that lady. And I get it. I looked different than she did, except for I had journeyed down that same kind of path that she was on. I mean, I literally had given, I got sober at 40, 30, 39 years old. Ooh, I just told my age. Gosh, I got sober at 39. And then, um, um, so, so when I met her, I had given the law plenty of times to pull me over after I'd been drinking or something like that. And for some reason, I didn't get caught. Um, but I befriended that lady, and she, she ended up wanting to be my friend, probably because I would not, not pursue her any longer. But, um, yeah, so I just started sharing my story um, and hopefully sharing Jesus with her without using many words, with just my actions and showing up at Crossroads and digging in and doing the hard stuff with the ladies, talking about things that nobody likes to talk about. And she told me one day about three months later, she was like, I'm getting baptized. And I was like, heck yeah, you are. And she said, will you come? And I was like, of course I'll come. And I asked her where it was, and she said, have you ever heard of Vertical Church? And I said, no, but I'm going to find it. And so in 2018, Emily got baptized. You actually baptized her. And I recall walking out of the church just in tears. My husband didn't come with me that day, and I called him, and I said, well, I know you're the spiritual leader of my household. I know we go to another church, but I have found our church home. <laughs> and um, he got on board. 
Um, and, you know, I would not have found my community of women had God not worked through a broken lady at Crossroads Ministries to point me further to him and to point me to who I was too. And it's been such, I'm so humbled and privileged and honored to have known that lady. Um, but you're right, like I stepped out of my comfort zone and you'd be so surprised where you meet Jesus with skin on. So wrapping up, um, if you had to give everybody in this room just a statement of, you know, younger, older than you, whatever they may be, whatever they may be struggling with, because we all have struggles, whether they're visible or not, um, what would you say to them about addressing those and finding that health? It's hard. It's messy. Um, but it is so worth the freedom that you can get and the freedom that you'll have if you find safe people um, living in community um, and, and being willing just a little bit to, to do something different. And, and, you know, I'd also say take the mask off. Just take it off. We don't have to button it down. We don't have to wear it. We don't have to do any of those things. And I know a lot of us from our area, we're taught that's what we do. We don't let anybody else see what's going on. We help other people at a distance. We help other people, then we tell them how to help themselves with what we've given them. Except for I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I think he wants us to be ourselves and make a safe space for other people to be themselves. Yeah. So you might be here today and maybe something Catherine said made you think about something in your life or maybe you are like I was 11 years ago and you feel like the life that you've led has held you back from pursuing what God's called you to. Um, maybe you're ready to take the next step towards vulnerability or um, something that you want to address. We have an email that you can send your name to. It's anonymous. No one besides myself or Ben, if you're a male, will see that. No one else will know. Um, and we will simply point you in the right direction of someone. You don't have to give any details, just that you need to talk to somebody. You can email us at help at livevertical.tv. Um, I'm going to pray for us and wrap us up. But can we thank Catherine one more time? Thank you. God, I thank you for, I thank you for my friend Catherine, um, for the work that you've done in her life. And um, God, I pray for her as she continues to reach people who um, feel like they aren't worth any more than what they've done to themselves or situations that they've put themselves in. God, I thank you for the gift of redemption that you've given us through your son, Jesus. God, thank you that um, when we think our stories are over, um, you say they're just beginning. God, I thank you for this place, and I pray for the people in this room um, who may be having these feelings, God, that they'll reach out, that they'll be vulnerable, and see what you can do in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next week.